Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right, no intro today because we're going to begin by talking about a movie called Get Out, which has such mastery over all of its uh, comic tripwires that I'm not going to try to compete with it. Uh, so uh, let me instead tell you who's on the nose today. Uh, and, and by by degrees of introversion, because that's what we've just been talking about before we went on the air. So first of all, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Irene is in a completely unique category among people, which is that her defining personal characteristic is that she believes nobody understands her. Uh, so whatever it is that you think that you know about Irene, you're wrong. Um, and so Rich Holland, uh, a principal and design director at CoLab, who pins the needle uh, on, uh, on shyness and introversion measures, but is incredibly eloquent and fun on the radio. Uh, Teresa Kramer, uh, a writer and editor of eContent magazine and the founding editor of The Cut, a magazine for uh, online disgruntled and rapidly aging adults uh, here in Connecticut. Uh, and yeah, I think you, you, know, you said you're an introvert. I think you are an introvert. I am, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We know that because you objected to leaving the house. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I had been out for like three nights in a row before I had to go see the movie, and I just didn't. And I told Irene I went to the 445 so, show so that I could get home and still spend plenty of time alone in my house. Right. Yeah. Is, is there anybody at the 445? I yeah. saw I saw a 455 <laughs> show yesterday, and there were quite a few people there. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, maybe a dozen or so. Right. Yeah. I believe the phrase you used was, I will begin to hate my life Yes. Uh, if I have to go out. I need so. to recharge by myself recharge. with my cat. That's yeah. the introvert category. Mm -hmm. yeah. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this movie. Uh, it's called Get Out. I'm sure you've heard about it right now. It's a very talked about movie. It's by Jordan Peele, he of Key and Peele. Um, it is a horror movie a satire, um, and a flat-out comedy. So I can see it's, a, it's a, a horror movie, a comedy, and a, a piece of very, I think, acute social commentary. The more that, I, the more that we discussed it today, the more I realized that's probably its, its defining characteristic more than the comedy and the horror. But it is all of those things. Uh, it is the story of a young man named Chris who is brought home to meet the parents uh, of uh, his girlfriend. Chris is African-American. His girlfriend is Allison Williams, which is to say about as white as a human being can be. Uh, and, well, you know, no, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. True. She is. Uh, yeah. like, you should I, be Bernadette Peters. I said this movie was like the first time I was convinced she could act at all because she just plays some, you know, version of a rich white girl every time I see her in something, which is what she is. Except so. for Peter Pan. Which she plays in this Yes, too. yeah. Um, and Peter Pan's kind of a rich white girl, too, when you get right down <laughs> here. But, um, yeah, so she grew up in New Canaan. Great uh, preparation for this film, which doesn't really take place anywhere, though. They're very careful about that. It doesn't have a specific locale. It takes place out in the countrified uh, suburbs. That's where you go. You meet her parents. Her parents are Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener. Uh, and then suspense uh, unfolds. There is something deeply, deeply amiss here uh, in this um, in this environment. So uh, we need to talk uh, about this. Uh, we're going to try, I guess it's, the spoiler question is a complicated yeah, one, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, people say that anyway, if you've seen the trailer, 
then yeah. there's like not that much that we could do to wreck. I mean, like everything that we would talk about today is in the trailer. If you manage to avoid the trailer, I don't know. You, you could like go away and come back, or you could just <laughs> trust to the us. Podcast come back at eight o'clock it. tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's the yeah. It's the anyway. It's the, the number one movie in America at the box office right now. It's got a ninety nine percent Rotten Tomatoes critics rating. That's I don't think people, uh, I don't think movies get ninety nines very often. So uh, that's how popular it is. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about how we felt about it. Rich, I think I am going to talk. Uh, start with you. You saw it in New Haven with it sounds like a very lively uh, audience talking back to the movie quite a bit. Absolutely, I saw I saw it with a, a largely um, black crowd. Uh, who who were very much a part of the movie uh, or the experience, and there were uh, occasional outbursts of Black Lives Matter man that were taking <laughs> place, and you know, very well timed, incidentally, uh, outbursts of that, and um, I just I found the the movie kind of interesting, and I just really don't think that it's uh, it's for everybody. It was certainly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, in that uh, there are a lot of sort of uh, little bits of of paranoia that still linger in my own sort of personal experience, mm-hmm. having grown up in exactly that suburb that was in the movie, you know, <laughs> where I was, you know, the only, you know, one of two or three black folks in this entire community, and felt sort of uh, a piece of the spectacle there. And um, and so some of the issues that it's touching on, some of the objectification and and the um, and the you know kind of dismembering of of what a person is uh, that that touches on uh, was incredibly resonant for me. So then, yes. who wouldn't it be for when you say it's not for everybody? People who don't care about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, like I mean, people who think it's a racist movie, it's right, not for exactly, them. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of the question is. And this is something that I struggled with a little bit. Um, like, I just, mad props to this movie. It's very smart. Uh, it's beautifully cast and exquisitely acted. I, I want, to, want us to talk a little bit about some of the acting because it really is so great. Uh, and and it's, it's got wit uh, and it's got suspense. Um, for me, the melange was a little bit hard. You know, it, it was like I was having a hard time during the movie pulling out the actual social commentary because – the comedy was kind of distracting me from the horror. The horror was distracting me from the comedy. I wasn't able to settle into a particular mood, you know. And then afterwards, I, I, as we've been, we wish we could publish all the emails that we sent. There were about 450 emails uh, that preceded the actual airing of the show. I started to see more of the movie in a way. I, I, I felt like it's, I, I, maybe I need a movie that picks, picks a mood somehow. Um, yeah, the, the picks and you need a movie that picks a mood. Okay, so there's a couple of conversations in what you just. There's about 450 <laughs> directions in what you just said too, but I guess um, for me the it was the genre. I was afraid that I was going to have that reaction because I thought a little bit of horror, a little bit of comedy. Uh, but I felt like it really worked because it was it was such an allegory. Like it was really an allegory about slavery and the experience of African Americans in the United States. And so if you saw it through that lens. Um, the 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 other stuff was just kind of like a postmodern mix of some horror and some and the comedy was hilarious and so it didn't seem to me I was afraid it was going to go too far into horror but it but it seemed like it I felt like it managed all of those things. And really Teresa, well. Teresa mm-hmm. you know, in a way, it's it is a different movie depending on the audience, right? I mean, f- 
for black people, this is a movie going, yeah, white people. Yeah. And, and, for, <laughs> and for white people, for white people who are woke, uh, which is, of course, all of us, yeah. um, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess we kind of do that, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, or maybe not. No, no, I, well, I think, so there's, towards the end of our 450 emails today, I said, I think this is a critique of a very specific kind of white liberal who is sort of performing their liberalness. And uh, to some degree, and um, that's sort of, we haven't talked specifics yet, but they're very early on in the movie, there's the scene with the cop, hmm. which we all sort of had different takes on where, Allison Williams's character sort of speaks up when her boyfriend has asked for his ID, even though there seems to be no reason for it. Colin thinks there's a reason for it, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, and so there's sort of a conversation about was she just seeing something that wasn't there? Was she being woke? Was she being sort of... Um, was she performing for was her she black performing boyfriend? for her black boyfriend or was she completely ignoring the danger potential danger of that situation and putting him at risk which some people would say she is and so there's a lot going on around there sort of depending where you fall on the sort of liberal guilt scale I think <laughs> I think it was so such a great scene though because I um, you know, because I think it's also about privilege, you know, like if mm -hmm. you're her mm -hmm. and you can say to the pop, cop, oh, come on, we don't need, you know, we don't right. need that. We can just do it. But if you're him, you can't say that, right. you know. And That's so, right. The, Chris, the, uh, Chris, the boyfriend in that scene, he just wants to give his ID. Yeah, you know, just like, do whatever the guy says. Yeah. Let's let's go. And she's well, like, that's no. the training, right? Right. Um, that you know that that we're told that our rights can be violated like that, right. and um, and and they can. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, we we have the opportunity to play you that okay. particular clip. Sir, can I see your license, please? Wait, why? Yeah, I have state ID. No, no, no. He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his. ID. Yeah, why? That doesn't make any sense. Here. You don't have to give him your ID because you haven't done anything wrong. Maybe, baby, it's okay. Come on. Anytime there is an incident, we have every right to That's ask. Ma'am, the. Everything all right, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. That headlight fixed, and that mirror. Thank you, officer. Um, maybe this is a, actually a, a little bit of a time to talk about the actor, uh, about the acting. The acting all the way through this is amazing. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the name of the lead, although that's something I probably should have figured out before we went on the air. With the guy who plays Chris, but he's amazing. I mean, like what he does in that scene. What he, but somebody talked. Was it you who talked about face acting? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, his face. You know, there's a scene where he's sort of being hypnotized and. It's a close-up on his face, and he's relaying some really, like, deep, dark, personal stuff. And his face is just, like, ev I mean, it's everything. I can't even explain it. I mean, he's cr there's so much pain there. It's, it's and amazing. It, and it all comes through his mm -hmm. eyes. Like, the character yeah. mm -hmm. of his eyes change. The density of the whites of his eyes mm -hmm. change, mm -hmm. you know, almost at will. Mm -hmm. And the close-up is so intense, the fact yeah. that it's so close on his face. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of others, like, really intense close-ups like that, like the, the um, I don't know, what the maid, you know, yeah. when she yeah. had that. Georgina. Intense, uh -huh. Georgina, yeah. 
intense close-up. And there's yeah. not a ton of dialogue. I mean, there is, but not on Chris's part, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of it is him just reacting to what, like, weird old white people are saying to him. And he's not, he can't just be like, just yell at them in the middle of this party. So it's just him <laughs> kind of being like, oh, no. Uh, and like, so everything's happening in his face. But I, I do want to... Everything's happening in his face, but he wasn't neutral about his response. And I'm really grateful to to the writer to not just have this guy get schlepped along uh, through all these, you know, insults upon insults upon insults between facial expression and his body language and in Mm -hmm. all kinds of different ways. He was taking control of these scenarios where these microaggressions were being hurled onto him. And, you know, and and the actor performed that to me really masterfully uh, to still allow for the vulnerability of being slammed with some of these statements, you know, and yet still put them aside, you know, and contain them. So that's yeah, that that's exactly why I think the movie is is for everyone, because it it invites us to identify not. And that's what I hate the, 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 the reaction of some sort of white liberals to think that it's about us. Like, what is this movie saying about us as white liberals? Well, the movie is really about him and his experience. So mm-hmm. if you can get yourself into his experience, it doesn't matter I mean, it matters, but it doesn't, you know, I feel as a white woman that I can get into his experience when I watch that movie more than I can to the to the white people around him. And that's his acting pulled me into that. So I think it's if it's in a way, if you if you can realize that the movie is about him, it's not about you. It's about him and his experience in this culture, then you can um, experience it differently. So it's for people who can do that I'm, I'm super glad that you pointed that out and you know and, and if if we were to take a step back to to the cop scene for example yeah. um, it, it's fascinating to uh, to witness the scene you know and, and to realize that what that scene really is about isn't about the cop and isn't about you know what we were jokingly calling uh, Marnie Rose uh, <laughs> in our in our conversation, um, uh, that it was about him and what his experiences are, mm-hmm. and instead of of having conversations to me about you know what white liberals should or shouldn't do, uh, you know what happens when we take a giant step back and ask you know what does this person need you know and what's what's his desire in this? Yeah. I had one impression of what it was you know, based on my own personal experience, right? But then when uh, we just played that clip again, I heard something that I didn't hear when uh, um, when I was in the movie. And I think it might have been because, you know, y- you, you put a scene with, you know, with cops asking you for your ID and the black audience is getting loud, right? Um, what, I, uh, what I didn't notice at the time um, was that uh, he said... Let me just give the ID so that we can move on with this. Mm-hmm. And she shut him down. Yep. You know, and in that context, that one piece that I hadn't heard before, I'm right there with you with what you were saying, yeah. Teresa, in, in our conversations earlier about um, about the kind of uh, excess of privilege that wasn't actually being put to good use at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Um, did this work for all of you as a scary movie? I mean, did you were you scared? I don't. I don't know that I find most scary movies scary, so I don't really. I don't. I don't know that I'm a good litmus test for that. I mean, I jumped at one point, but I mean, I was certainly frightened for him at points. But um, you know, I don't. I just. I mean, especially movies like this where the sort of plot behind it is so outlandish. I don't find them. I find like maybe a serial killer movie because mm-hmm. there could be one in my neighborhood. I don't know. I find that scary, but not like a you know 
Jason type movies. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrified of scary movies mm-hmm. to the point that I hardly ever see them because I get so scared. But I didn't find this scary in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. When I when I was, uh, I think I was maybe about seven or eight years old. I was staying at my grandma's house, and she, and she's not an English speaker, so she doesn't really get this. Uh, and let us watch Psycho. Oh, um, yeah. Seven? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and since then, I've been just horrified. And yeah. by the way, I want to let you know, there was a, a six-year-old child in the movie theater last night, and we were, like, wondering what in the world is going on here. I, I had several kids that age in the movie theater with me, too, and I had the same reaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I am innately jumpy around things like that. And considering that um, that – Almost every one of the experiences that he's had there, mm-hmm. short of being tied to a chair, are experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it rang true, and it's scary, and I was just kind of watching, you know, my life run run in front of me. Um, I am really thankful, in a way, that the movie stopped being about the this sort of psycho uh, drama, yeah. the, you know, mm-hmm. the psychological drama, and moved into like just pure old, you know, uh, afternoon <laughs> afternoon theater. Uh, <laughs> horror stuff you know and it is interesting because in a way right in a way the movie invites that question like which is really the scary thing in this mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. yeah but for me it was wait until dark i just have to say as a kid for some reason i saw wait until dark i was terrified <laughs> for like years it's a really scary movie and it's, it's about a helpless so, woman too so yeah, um yeah. yeah i mean you know there was joking when this whole thing was pr- first proposed because Famously around here anyway, I, I mean two different people, my son and Bill Curry, have announced during scary movies that they will never go to another scary movie with me. Uh, like, they, they, like in the same tone of voice, will you stop that? I will, I'm never going with you again. You just um, reach or what happened? Yeah, I was yeah. Sort of making these little kind of bird-like cheeping noises and peeking between my fingers and stuff like that. And I, was, I wasn't really trying to – I was trying to not be loud about it, where, whereas there was this, uh, you know, for – I guess we're not post-racial, so there's this white girl sitting a row behind me who at one point is going, kill her, kill her, and she's like screaming oh for the death of Allison Williams. So, I mean, like screaming like really loud. So um, I don't do that, but uh, yeah, at 28 Days Later, Bill Curry said to me, I am never going to a movie like ever again, never. Um, and uh, my son Joey did the same thing with me, but I didn't find this particularly scary. I, I, I don't think... You know, it's that's the term. Horror is the term that's being most frequently applied to it. And I think it's really, you know, one of the questions that you were asking, Rich, I think is a really interesting one, is if you took race out of this, what kind of movie would it be? And probably no, not even all that. Would, <laughs> no, it wouldn't work there's, at all. There's no way to do this movie and have it be anything, right? No, it would be, I mean, we've seen that movie a, a ton of times, yeah. right? It's 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 typically low production um, movies that are made tense by the director's choice of camera angles and what the camera's pointing at instead of what it ought to be pointing at to give you any kind of relief over what's going on in the scene. Um, it's It would be, in a way, cheap. Uh, but it's the social commentary uh, that took possession of the movie uh, that made it interesting and that made it horrific. I think also, so Jordan Peele, I just heard a promo for him. He's doing Dinner Party Download or something tonight. And he talked about, he, he calls this a movie about the lie of post, post-racial America. And I, I do think this is sort of the last area I really want to get into about this too, which is 
So, I mean, one of the things that they do in this movie is the movie is full of people saying things that sound kind of congratulatory or conciliatory towards black people, but really aren't, right? So there's the dad who said he says he'd vote for, vote for Obama a third time, played by Bradley Whitford, Wesleyan graduate. Uh, and there's, you know, the, the old golfer who just thinks Tiger's the best, you know. And uh, <laughs> I know Tiger. Yeah, I've met right. him. Um, yeah. and, and another guy who just very randomly in this party situation comes up to young Chris and says that uh, fair skin used to be in fashion, yeah. but, you know, now it's, it seems to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like it's better to be black or something. And, and so you're looking at all this and it, it, none of it rings particularly true. And as you could probably guess, a lot of it has very sinister uh, subtext <laughs> and, and underpinning to it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's weird because, OK, so I'll just go there so we can talk about it. So we had an incident in Connecticut uh, this week where uh, at, a, at a basketball game, uh, there were white kids from Canton ch- uh, chanting Trump, Trump, Trump at an all-black or mostly black basketball team from the classical magnet school here in Hartford. Uh, and there's been a lot of discussion of it online. I get slipped through the door of a closed Facebook group where you can really see people <laughs> talking about it. And you can really just see that, yeah, post-racial America is just a big fat lie. Yeah. You know, that... <laughs> that you know, and this is Connecticut, a blue state, and just what the stuff that people are saying is really, I mean, I'm sort of that was scarier than anything that was in the movie. I guess that's my point. But somebody else take that and run with it. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, this this is if there's one really huge defining point of this movie, it, it kind of is, you know, that that whole line of talk usually conceals a tremendous amount yeah. uh, of hostility and weirdness. Happy to run with that. Okay. Um, I think what was in the movie and what was in uh, this, uh, this scene in this small town in Connecticut – uh, that could easily have been, you know, this town in this movie. Right. Equally as unnameable uh, and unplaceable. Um, uh, what's embedded in that is some clarity about um, uh, that, sure, there are these little aggressions, and uh, but they're all embedded in a system uh, that supports and insulates and hides and masks uh, the intention of of these actions. Uh, when I hear what happened in Canton, um, I do hear that, you know, that very quickly the school superintendents got out there and was like, yeah, this is an awful thing to happen, that, you know, that we don't condone this. But, you know, this stuff doesn't happen in your community without you knowing that it's in your community. You know, that's it's alive and well and doesn't just sort of surprise people out of the blue. You know, that these are things that could be addressed all along. And um, and uh, there is an element, even you know, in the movie that we were watching, that uh, that alluded to that 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 this isn't a thing that that just happened right now, this week, this month. This has been going on since Jesse Owens won the Olympics, you know, and and it was embedded uh, and built and grew to to a point that it was like raging out of control. And we need to be mindful of that, I think. And, Teresa, one thing that I found, really after sliding into one of these so supposedly closed groups on Facebook, is that people kind of do a version mm-hmm. of Get Out, which is what they, there are a lot of people going, well, they were just saying the name of our president. 
What's wrong with that? Or there was actually people, there was more than one person on this uh, Collinsville, Connecticut Facebook group saying, well, Trump can mean just to beat you, you know, to like it's a verb, you know, to so Trump. to yeah, Trump. That's so lame. Maybe, that yeah. is lame. You know, there were people saying things like that in all seriousness, yeah. saying, saying who, who's saying that's racist? Well, we know that since uh, this time in 2016, for the last year, there have been multiple inc- incidents like this. But I mean, that's the sort of fake post-racial argument. Right. I saw those same comments on the current article about all of this, the same sort of, well, Mm. Trump has two meanings sort of thing. But these are these are the sort of people who are most likely in denial that Trump is a racist in the first place. Right. They're like, well, why should it matter if they're chanting the president's name? That has nothing to do with anything. Well, if you believe that Trump is not a racist, then I guess that makes sense in some world. But, you know, and a lot of people are just going with the oh, kids will be kids. You taunt people at at. You know, sporting games, that's what they do, which is true, right? But you don't do it on racial terms. You go and you're like, you know, hey, better, better, whatever. I don't do the sports, but um, <laughs> is that but, is that the chant? Hey, better, better. Hey, I don't, better, I don't better. Better. do the sports. Yeah, 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 I don't. I don't know what you do at the sporting <laughs> venues, but um, but actually, one of the first things I thought about when I saw this article was um, when I was in high school, my our hockey team went to the state finals, and as you can imagine, any team that has a, any school with a hockey team has plenty of money, and so do the people on that team. Mm. And um, for some reason, our school was chanting "You're on welfare" at the other team, which wow. made literally no sense. Because <laughs> I was like, they are clearly not on welfare; they have enough money for hockey equipment. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, but they're chanting this at other suburban white kids, so it was like, okay. But now, so the optics are different here, right? And they're, and for good reason, people are more enraged by this. And, um, and some people just refuse to see the difference in those in in those two things, right? There's there's not a problem with trying to distract the other team and chanting something. It is a problem when you use the name of a bigot to intimidate a group of people who are affected by his policies and rhetoric. And, and there is a little of this, too. I mean, in some of the thing, conversations that I've read, too, obviously the, there are people in Canton who either are not racists or mm-hmm. don't condone this or very worried about it. And, and there are a whole bunch of other people who may be somewhere in the middle of all this, but very concerned that Canton not get defined that way. But there's a little – once again, I mean, I just see echoes to get out, right? You know, it's this beautiful, nice town mm-hmm. where everything's OK, um, except that if you dig very deep, everything's not OK. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I go back to the allegory, uh, you know, and really it really starts with slavery in the United States, you know, and sort of like that is an allegory for slavery and what's happened since then. And so the way to the way to the way to um, to take it is I, I mean, the only way out of it is to understand the subjectivity of people that are different from you, you know, and white people tend to be not that good at that. And this movie is trying to uh, at least to the extent that it speaks to to white people um, is to just say, look, look at this. Look, look, you know, just 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 take responsibility. It doesn't mean it's about you. It doesn't mean you're all like this. It doesn't mean you're racist. It means if you think about how other people experience things in the world, maybe. I think you, know? you just nailed my concern with the movie. OK. Um, <laughs> and, and, and thank you for framing it that way. Um, this is such to me a serious issue mm-hmm. and, um, and to, to take things like um, walking up to this man and feeling him up 
you know, and feeling mm-hmm. his muscles, mm-hmm. you know, and say like, well, you know, I don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or to say like, you know, any of the, the, the like, obviously, you know, clearly racist things that took part that happened in that movie, and and uh, couch it as like, well, okay, so I don't really do that, um, is attempting to take a look at racism as though it's a, as though there it's on a continuum. You know, that you could be a little bit racist. And I don't think you can. I think it's like being pregnant. It's you are or you're not. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and when we take that and we just turn it into a caricature of what racism is, I think it gives a tremendous amount of people an out to say, like, well, if I'm not that, then I don't need to be introspective. I don't need to look at myself. I'm A-OK. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think the ability to take a look at this more of this conversation about uh, race dynamics and um, and look at it through through the lens of how it actually really functions. You know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, if if I go to it, it, and this isn't a spoiler alert because it's the first scene in a movie. So okay. is that all right? Yeah. Um, if I take a look at uh, this first scene in the movie, I had exactly that experience, you know, where I'm walking down the street and this car is following me mm-hmm. for like 15, 20 minutes, you know, less than a block away, you know, um, and uh, to in this movie to reduce it to, oh, and then the guy abducts you and then it's over, you know, does not trivialize my experience that I wasn't abducted at the end of this thing. You know, it just it just promotes the idea that there are boogeymen and there are situations where you think there are boogeymen and they're not there. You know, so to play these things out in a manner that feels more real, you know, um, uh, I think is how we reach people. Um, the allegory I don't think does. Although I don't wow. know. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, I I agree with that. And then I also wonder if you try to make this, you know, in the style of ordinary people or something, you know, <laughs> that, you know, where it was basically this kind of serious psychological examination that didn't have any of the trappings of entertainment attached to it. Whether you could, you know, I think Peel's argument is, no, I'm going to hook you with all this other stuff because it's mm-hmm. funny, you know, at times and it's scary. And then like, you know, eight hours after you leave the movie theater, you're suddenly going to realize what you saw. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, I, I, you know, humor especially does a great job in sort of breaking down other people people's defenses. Right? It's mm-hmm. it's. Um, and I was thinking about sort of movies that try to tackle race in a more earnest way. And the movie I kept coming back to is that movie Crash from, I don't know, like 10 <laughs> years ago, which was just, I hated it. Everybody I mean, I could not have been crash. more just like beating you over the head. And, you know, this movie's sort of beating you over the head and you don't mind because you're also laughing and you're kind of scared and it's so weird. And so you're willing to take all that in because it's entertaining you because it's entertaining and and because he is an entertainer and a mm-hmm. comedian sure. you know so why so if he wants to tackle those issues he's not he's not going to make ordinary people he's mm-hmm. going to make a funny movie so why not in the context of making a funny movie do more you know or do that or bring it and you know I, I i think the stuff that was funny about the movie is actually pretty awesome yeah. mm-hmm. you know? so <laughs> so yeah. i'm actually not not critical of that part of it but okay. the, but, but okay. your question maybe mm-hmm. is like what conversation happens after that? Yes. Like mm-hmm. I mean, Key and Peele itself did a really great job using comedy mm-hmm. to raise issues of race. The question is, is there a conversation that takes place after you get all done laughing? 
Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting the thing about you if, whether people could say, well, I don't do that, therefore I'm not a racist. You know, I mean, I think I think you can be a little bit racist. You know, I mean, I think there are level. I, I think there's a, a continuum. You know, and so people like um, who there's different kinds of microaggressions. You know, like touching somebody that that way isn't is a is more like a macroaggression. You know, but the microaggressions. You know, there's like seems like there's a lot of levels. You mm-hmm. you would just you would draw the line at yes or no. Um, so I have this concern uh, that wherever we leave room for the gray area, uh, we leave room for the dark spot to grow. Um, so, so I have this this notion that um, uh, that I'm that I'm unwilling uh, to to do the and to do this sort of particleism, uh, moral particleism around racism. Uh, that it's it's a switch. It's either it's on or it's off, and you have to live with it being on and not giving yourself the out that it's only a little on. Hmm. Okay, Those, interesting. Somebody could see themselves, you know. Somebody, you know, like I think learning about even the concept of a microaggression can help people switch to the other side of the switch, though. Sure, of course. You know? yeah, so, and, yeah. And I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So since we're saying the same thing, that's a good time to stop. Take a break. We'll come <laughs> back. We need to talk about Kelly and Conway's feet, of course. Welcome back to The Nose. Uh, on The Nose today uh, are uh, Teresa Kramer, writer, editor of eContent Magazine, and founding editor of The Cut. Not the fashion section of New York Magazine, though. That would be cut. awesome. If yeah, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. Uh, but it's good that we, the, the other cut's great, too. Uh, uh, Rich Holland, a principal and design director at CoLab. Irene Papoulis, a professor at Trinity College, teaches writing at Trinity College. It is uh, now time to um, change topics. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that we could have had as interesting a discussion as you guys managed to have online anyway <laughs> and on emails about Kellyanne Conway's feet. So let me see if I can uh, set this up or frame this. So this was a um, visit to the White House uh, of the presidents of the historically black colleges and universities. Um, it got turned into a photo op with uh, – it was rather a large group and they were all sort of clustered around President Trump's desk. Uh, and then someone took a picture of Kellyanne Conway sitting on a nearby sofa. That's sitting – I don't know what you call it, but it's sort of sitting on a nearby so- sofa because she's going to take a picture also with her cell phone. I think she's trying to get a better angle or something like that. But she's got her legs tucked underneath her so her feet are not visible. And so she's in the Oval Office. Uh, we assume that her shoes have been kicked off or whatever. And Teresa, this bothered people for some reason, right? It did seem to bother people. You know what it sort of reminded me of? Do you remember, like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when one of the, I think it was the UConn women's basketball team went there and someone wore sandals and people freaked out? It sort of reminded me of that a little bit. But as someone who is incapable of sitting properly in a chair or on a couch for more than <laughs> the length of this show, I was kind of like, if I had to work somewhere where I couldn't put my feet up every once in a while, I think I'd go nuts. So I, I could not hate on Kellyanne for this one. Also, because it just seems like such a distraction. Like, who cares? She's doing such awful things in the world. Let's focus on that. Well, although, Rich, you shared with us. I thought this is a – it got me thinking anyway. You shared with mm-hmm. us. I think this came from somebody that you know. When I see Kellyanne's feet all up on the couch in the Oval Office, I see white spatial entitlement. It's why white kids put their feet on chairs and students lay on the floor all over campus. The world belongs to them. They can show you the soles of their feet with impunity because the space is theirs. All space, any space. It is why they raise their voices 
cities and quiet places and don't even realize they are monopolizing the air. They have been raised to be good enough. Uh, they accept their status as the norm, and it brings them great comfort, which is why when 44 put his feet up on the desk of the Oval Office, it was such a scandal. He ought not to have been entitled. We need to stop raising children who are spatially conservative or they will never own uh, a thing. So hmm. I hadn't heard of spatial white, in, white spatial entitlement. And then I'm like trying to examine my whole life. Thinking, <laughs> no, it's a kind of manifest destiny yeah. of, uh, of entitlement. But I don't know. You didn't entirely buy this argument, right? Um, or did you? Well, about Kellyanne, anyway. So, I didn't. So there were a number of of concerns about Kellyanne, and uh, in the uh, what my friend posted there uh, was less a concern about Kellyanne, and and it was what I see as um, as what happens uh, in the in the sort of Kellyanne news cycle, where everything spins out into something other than what you started talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I find that that statement you just read is one hundred percent accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find my mindfulness around with my kids around that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to have them be mindful of people who infringe on their space and to be able to claim their space. So it's absolutely true, and yet. I don't necessarily, and it's something that you can uh, extrapolate from that image, but to me, not the object of the image. Uh, the object of the image, to me, was uh, Kellyanne had just taken a photograph in a room that was really super packed because I saw the wider mm-hmm. shot of that as well. You know, she was in, uh, and I also shared out uh, in a room that full. If I'm trying to take an image, I'm going to be lying on the floor, you know, and I don't care if I'm in the Oval Office, you know, because my dedication is to get the image that I need for the story that I'm looking to tell. And so to a certain extent, she is doing her job. I'm right? just, yeah, I'm showing the picture. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell Colin, this is radio. I don't yeah. think they can see. No, just for the panelists <laughs> to be reminded of this. Yeah. So, I mean, the argument is that maybe this is a version of man spreading, right? Um, well, I, I think I see something else, right? Yeah. Um, the 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 initial complaints uh, that I'd seen uh, from you know from good liberal people uh, came down to uh, respecting the president's office, you know, which always struck me as odd as from folks who say this is not my president. And um, well, and, also you start running into Bill and Monica pretty fast yeah. when you very fast. about things that have gone on in that office. Yeah. But anyway, and the second thing uh, which I found uh, particularly concerning was conversations about decorum and how a woman is supposed to be in a dress um, from good, well, from folks who see themselves as good feminists. Um, and, and, and that kind of shook me a little bit, you know, and made me think that, hey, you know, we need to be mindful of, of our own house. And it gets to, to what I was saying a little bit ago, you know, you're either racist or you're not. You're either feminist or you're not. The space in between, you know, is you're not. Um, and uh, and work on what your inner truth is. In the in the instance of this image, there's a bigger thing that was missed. You know, in all of the hoopla around this image, is these nearly I think it was several dozen, if not close to a hundred, uh, uh, 
black leaders were brought down to Washington with the express intention of having uh, a conversation with Betsy DeVos around um, around uh, uh, historically black colleges and policies of this new administration. They were cut down to next to no time, shipped out of there before they could have conversations about budget and Pell Grants and the stuff that actually really mattered to them, stuck in a photo opportunity, and DeVos disappeared like vapors, and the <laughs> meeting was over. That right. is outrageous. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that Betsy was supposed to be there. Well, this is, you know, it goes back to what Teresa was saying at the beginning of this, which is that we wind up stressing about the thing that we shouldn't be stressing about, this kind mm-hmm. of very casual bit of optics where, yeah, these guys, uh, and men and women who were there to have a substantive conversation. And it turned out that what Donald Trump and his handlers really wanted was that photo op. They wanted that picture and setting up that picture and doing all the stuff that went around uh, that picture took up a lot of time, time that then reduced the speaking time that they had to anybody. Uh, and then at the end of it, uh, De- Betsy DeVos also issued her comment about how historically black college, uh, colleges and universities mm-hmm. were a great example of, you know, school choice and how well that works. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the, you know, it's, this wasn't yeah. exactly school choice as it was so much as it was just a, an incredible dire necessity occasioned by a very evil system. Uh, I mean, that, that's really, you know, it isn't the wonders of school choice. But anyway, you get to have the last word on this. Uh, okay, what, well, I just have to, I mean, I guess I would just go away from that to the back to the image and say that when I first, Colin, you said she, as though she had kicked off her shoes. So I was looking when I first saw it, I was looking on the floor for her shoes. I didn't see them. And then I saw another image where she was kind of kneeling up and you could see that she had her high heels on yeah. on the couch. Ooh. So I was one of those people that says, you shouldn't put your feet on the couch on the oval in the <laughs> anywhere, let alone in the Oval Office. But now after um, listening to Rich's point, I'm thinking, what if it had been, you know, Naomi Wolf or something, you know, with her feet on the what I felt? I don't know. There's something about feet, uh, you know, shoes on the couch that seems like, yeah. you know. That's that's a line cross. That, that, yeah, that's that's a line cross crossed, you, you know. Could, so You could puncture the upholstery with yeah. your high heels yeah. then the stuffing would come out. Of course, you could find a use for that. <laughs> oh, no. That would be spoiling something from Get Out. I better not say anything more about Spoiler it. Alert. All right. We better go to a break here. We'll come back with some things to recommend to you. The name on everybody's lips is Gallant Bay. The lady raking in the chips is gonna be Conway. I'm gonna be a celebrity. That means somebody everyone knows. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kion Wolf, with special help from Amanda Fish. The part of Bill Curry was played by Allison Williams. Keep up on everything we do by visiting our Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page. And on Monday's show, should we have Kevin Bacon as a guest on The Scramble? We're just asking. And now, back to Colin. All right. Yes, on Monday we will do The Scramble, as we do every Monday, where we round up stories from the weekend and scramble around to find somebody to talk about them. All right. So it's time to make some recommendations. Uh, Let's start at this end of the uh, table. Uh, You go first, Teresa. Um, I think I'm going to endorse the current and last season of Girls. I have had a love-hate relationship with the show the entire time in that I hate almost every character on it. Mm. But um, they're sort of growing up a little. And I have not laughed so hard at at this show or almost any other show in a very long time since this season began. It's very funny. Uh, can I, I just mm-hmm. join you in that? That was actually mm-hmm. going to be one of my endorsements, too. Or just okay. to specifically say that last week there was a very unusual episode in which okay. um, 
uh, yeah, you saw this too, where mm-hmm. the Lena Dunham character Hannah uh, it was the whole thing was a conversation between her and a guy, mm-hmm. a famous author who had maybe engaged in some acts of sexual harassment and inappropriate touching and un- inappropriate more than touching. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just sort of a one-on-one, the two of them having this conversation. It was the guy who plays Philip on uh, The Americans. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was a remarkable, uh, you know, it's one of the risks that the show sometimes takes is to go someplace like that. Also, has, uh, maybe I'm the only person who's noticed this, mm-hmm. but the previous week, Allison Williams was involved in another kind of horror spoof yeah. when they were out in the woods yeah. and Desi, her soon-to-be ex. And that that particular episode had me laughing yeah. like crazy. It was so funny. But yeah. it was using a lot of the same kind of yeah. horror tropes. Mm-hmm. He's wandering around outside and breaking windows and breaking stuff like windows that. Right. Things, yeah. um, uh, two quick ones. Um, one uh, is a book, um, a piece of philosophy uh, that's, I think, worked the reread it was um it was written in the 20s i'm going to be reading it again it's called uh the treason of the intellectuals it's uh julian benda um uh really worth reading uh it takes a look at um at what happens with the intellectuals the scientists the poets the artists etc um uh as they sh- as they begin to uh what i was talking about earlier uh, um particleize uh what their uh, what their roles are um, in in what um, the role of the intellectuals are in the political discourse, uh, it's incredibly germane to where we are right now. And uh, in in that spirit of how we frame things, um, uh, I want to recommend uh, um, a show that's at EBK Gallery. It's a curator, a guy who spent his life, Steve Holmes, curating uh, in in uh, for the Carton Collection, and uh, he's now putting on a show of his work. I am fascinated to go check that out to see what happens when someone who's seen it all then has to make a statement of his own. Um, come back to that first book and say the title again. Uh, the Treason of the Intellectuals. Treason of the Intellectuals. Do we know the author? Uh, Julien Benda. All right. Julien Benda. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. All right, um, Willis, what have you got for okay, us? Okay, I also have a, um, a book that came to mind because when I was when in our conversation, because there's, there's an essay called The Racism We All Carry by Roxanne Gay, who's a... Uh, an African-American woman, you know, fairly young, who's written this, um, a coll- she has a collection of essays called Bad Feminist that's really good. I'm using it in my class. And she has another book out now. I don't know anything about it. But um, the, it's, this essay called The Racism We All Carry is great. Um, and uh, But I also want to endorse activism in this, you know, age. And, you know, in, if you're thinking about, if you're feeling disgruntled, you know, just get out there. So I know Teresa's been doing that a lot. She's involved with the Indivisible Group. And there's a lot of local groups. And there's going to be a forum at Trinity on March 12th, which is a Sunday from 1 to 4, where you could go if you're interested in act- activism of any sort. People are going to have tables and booths for by issues and things that you're, if you want to get involved, you know, and just going to rallies, going to political events is, this is a good time to do it. Just get out of the house, you meet interesting people, and you have a sense of participating in what's going on in our country. Um, so uh, I will endorse. Well, I was going to endorse uh, the season of Girls and sp- specifically uh-huh. the uh, yeah both of those two episodes. <laughs> but you beat me to it. Uh, that's fine. Um, I'm going to indru- also endorse. Um, if you've been to see Get Out or you're you're not ready to go see Get Out, 
I would endorse Keanu. Keanu is uh, <laughs> Key and Peele's uh, first um, feature-length effort that I'm aware of anyway. It's a very different movie. It's a very specifically very funny movie. It sometimes gets accused of being kind of a series of skits uh, strung together. But it, it, it is, re- I think, genuinely funny. Uh, it's a, a comedy about code switching very specifically, uh, and, and it's handled uh, hilariously. I will say that there's this whole theme in the movie. For, have you all seen it? You've seen it, right? I haven't seen it, but no. I know no. of it. There's this whole scene. Well, uh, Keegan-Michael uh, Key plays this guy who's like, they're both these very sort of white guys, you know, in terms of their sensibilities, and they get caught up with all kinds of gangsters and stuff like that. But Keegan-Michael Key plays this guy who's really into George Michael, and he's constantly <laughs> trying to, like, convince these drug lords and stuff like that that George Michael's really good. And so that's, it's kind of, it's very funny in the movie, except that now it's kind of sad, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether that has quite the same comic punch. But uh, the movie are, overall is really funny and... Um, yeah, maybe it doesn't hang together as well as Get Out. But um, I'm also going to uh, endorse um, – well, you know, uh, uh, I think you pointed out, Teresa, that Bradley Whitford, who we see in Get Out, uh, is most recently seen quite a bit as uh, a trans person uh, in, uh, in Transparent. Um, and as much as I've enjoyed Transparent, I sort of am a little tired of – the main representation of trans people being these kind of frumpy 70-year-old people. And so um, the, the show Billions, which is main, mainly a star turn for uh, Paul Giamatti uh, and Damian Lewis uh, going head-to-head in kind of a retelling of the Preet Bharara, Steve Cohen clash uh, uh, in terms of prosecution of uh, hedge fund people. They've introduced this character. She is played by Asia Kate Dillon. I guess if I watched uh, Orange is the New Black more carefully, I would know her as Brandy, a white supremacist character or something oh. along those lines. Yeah. You, do you watch that show? Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I mean, there are several white supremacists, yeah. so I'm not sure which one she is. But. Well, this young woman now who's young and attractive and stylish um, plays, um, she, I think in real life, first of all, she's a trans person uh, and she plays a trans person on the show. Uh, she's whip smart, uh, smarter than all these other traders. She's an intern who... Uh, is eventually offered a job for a million dollars a year, which she's not interested in taking. And she's a terrific character anyway. You can't take your eyes off her when she's in a scene, and it's kind of fun anyway to see a trans person who's not Jeffrey Tambor. And it's also fun to see a trans person. I don't object to Jeffrey Tambor playing that role. I know I know a lot of people do, but it's also time for people who are actually trans people to play trans people on television. So uh, good for them uh, and good for that show. And good for all of you who tuned in and stayed with us and go see Get Out if you haven't already seen it. And meanwhile, we want to thank our panel today. Uh, Our panel is Teresa Kramer uh, and Rich Holland and Irene Papoulis. We will be back on Monday. We've got a very exciting week of shows for you next week. Of course, I always say that, but I truly do mean it. Uh, And uh, but we'll be back on Monday with a scramble. We'll be rounding up news from the weekend finding people who can talk about it. Thanks for being with us today and join us for another week. Very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy. Like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking, talking about this and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.